someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care. Sorry about that. I lost my place. Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich towards God. He said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you shall eat, or about your body, what you, shall, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes all the grasses of the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after these, these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, try, strive for his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. We have been moving through Lent, and we've been talking about a number of ways that we can respond to what we've been learning and how we've been growing. And so uh, at the bottom of the middle section in your bulletin is some uh, ways that we can respond, and we've had those opportunities throughout our season of Lent. 
But I want to remind you of a few uh, events upcoming that are ways that we can be responding to what Christ is doing in our lives. Uh, April 14th, Palm Sunday, we have our love feast and communion service here uh, Sunday evening. The early church, this love feast and communion thing goes back clear to the, the early church that had agape meals, love meals. When word got out across the Roman Empire that these Christians were having love meals with their brothers and sisters and they were eating flesh and drinking blood, um, understandably, even for the Romans, this sounded a little weird. And so Christians had some explaining to do. And so I've also found that as we continue this practice of love feast and communion, and in the Church of the Brethren, we continue to wash each other's feet. And for those that can't wash feet, we wash hands as a reminder of the way we are supposed to come, and we are servants to Jesus, and we are also servants to one another. Uh, To me, this practice has continued to carry great significance. I know that my feet don't actually need washed that Sunday evening. But when I get down on my hands and my knees, it is a very uh, vivid reminder of our need to serve one another. It's the same as when we, when we break the bread across the table and we, and we drink the cup. Those are tangible reminders of what Christ has done for us, of the sacrifice that he has paid on the cross. So this is a, a really... Um, important way for us to come together as we remember, as we affirm once again our commitment to following Jesus together as the body of Christ. Uh, I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to assure them that there is room at the table for you. Uh, Tell them. You're all invited to come and join us. Sounds like our uh, fellowship meal is breaking out already. That's good. Uh, We also have a Good Friday service. April 19th, we'll be uh, taking care of the sin and the darkness that has accumulated on our cross. At this point, you can see we got a lot of stuff going on. Um, There's been a, a lot accumulating on this cross over the Lenten season. And April 21st is Resurrection Sunday. We'll have that cross cleaned off. You can bring in flowers that morning uh, to celebrate what Jesus has done in his resurrection, conquering sin and death and the grave. This is good news that we can celebrate together. Um, So I just wanted to remind you of those upcoming events. In your Bibles or your apps or however you're reading God's Word this morning, I'd like for you to turn to Luke chapter 12, which Paul read for us this morning. We're going to be going through this text together. As we open up God's Word together this morning, would you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing to you. Would you speak through me or despite me? And we trust always through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. A little bit of context of what's happening in this passage this morning. 
Jesus is in the middle of teaching and he is being surrounded by this crowd. They love to hear what Jesus is talking about, how he's teaching. And out of the crowd comes this one man who interrupts Jesus and he has this question of inheritance. He comes and he interrupts Jesus' teaching. This wasn't maybe something unusual to come and ask a a famous, well-respected rabbi to give his judgment, to give his opinion on a civil matter. They would come and, and ask for a rabbi's judgment. Verse 13, uh, the man interrupts and he says, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. It's interesting to me that this man um, is not coming and seeking justice. We talked about justice a couple weeks ago. This man's not coming for justice. This man is coming for someone to agree with him. All right? He doesn't say anything about what's fair or unfair. We don't know the situation uh, around this man's inheritance He just is looking for Jesus to agree with him. And Jesus isn't buying it. He doesn't fall into the trap. He doesn't say, okay, well, here, let me render this judgment. Instead, he says, verse 15, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Life isn't about having more stuff. Oftentimes, I've heard the phrase, he who dies with the most toys wins. But do you know the truth that we're going to hear in a little bit? Is he who dies with the most toys still dies. And they can't take the toys with them, right? I know, I know, I'm bummed out too. Um, Jesus then tells this parable about a rich landowner. And verse 16 says, The land of a rich man produced abundantly, Uh, It's interesting that it's not anything to do with this man's hard work. It doesn't say he was a great farmer and he knew his land and and he applied fertilizer here and he worked really hard. No, it says the land produced and he reaps the benefit and he collects in this harvest and what does he do? He's been blessed, and and throughout Scripture, when somebody is blessed, they're blessed in order to be a blessing, to bless others around them. That's not what this man's about. He collects it. He hoards it. He saves it for himself. In fact, he's got to build bigger barns and silos to keep the harvest in for himself. Rather than blessing others, he stockpiles And look what happens in the way he is talking. Verse 18. He says, I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Who's the focus on? Me. Me, how does this affect me, my soul, my grain, my barns, my goods? Relax, eat and drink and be merry. But it's about me. It's about taking care of himself. He's living among neighbors who are living at subsistence level. They are struggling day in and day out to put food on the table. They have a shirt and maybe one coat 
on their back, and yet this guy has been blessed richly, and he saves it for himself. He's focused on a self-indulgent lifestyle. What makes me happy? God sees the way he's living, and verse 20 says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? In the Greek, it says literally, Fool, in this night your soul they demand from you. And as I was reading and studying this week, I thought, Who is this they that's demanding his soul. And really, in interpretation, there's kind of two major possibilities. They could be referring to God, that God is saying, your life is limited, and they, when we talk about God, sometimes we talk about the plurality of God's awesomeness, God's majesty. Um, in Genesis, it says, let us make man in our image, and it's talking about the, the majesty of God, and it's it has to use plural language to talk about the majesty of God. The other possibility, though, is that it's the things, the wealth that he has accumulated that has now become the owner. The possessions now own the man, and he has become a slave to the possessions. Bible interpreter Daryl Bach says this is a reversal of the created order. The image bearer, the man that has been called to be a steward over creation is now the slave, the servant. He bows to the non-image bearer, that which is supposed to be stewarded. We feel and we experience the truth of this parable in our own lives, when a thing or an object, wealth or a schedule becomes our master and we feel like a slave or a servant to it. We all feel that maybe, at least with me, I feel it with my phone, with my device. My device is now two years old, so it's ancient in technology world. And so I often want the biggest and the best and the newest. But, you know, I also feel like a slave to the ding, ding, ding notifications popping up on my phone. And I have to see what it is. I have to respond. I have to get back. I, and, and you feel like a slave to it. It's been uh, somewhat of a trial and error at a spiritual discipline to leave my phone away from the kitchen table when we're eating supper. Sometimes I do really well and sometimes I fail miserably. Hearing it, ding, ding, ding. Hold on, I got to go get that. My phone, even if I turn it upside down, it puts it into a do not disturb mode, but then I wonder what's happening while that phone's We feel like slaves. We feel like a servant to those notifications. And the object becomes the master. But Jesus isn't just telling the people around him 
not to be greedy. It's more than that because he goes on as he's teaching. In verse 22, he says, do not worry. He says, not even to worry about your physical, basic necessities. He says, life is more than food and the body, more than clothing. That's crazy. He says, worry doesn't get us anywhere. You can't add anything to your life by worrying. But how many of us try? We, we want to think that we can add something to our life, and so we worry. We worry about all kinds of stuff, things. And Jesus is saying, you can't add anything to your life by worrying. Skipping down to verse 29 and 30, Jesus says, And do not keep striving for what you are to eat or what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying. For it is the nations of the world that strive after all these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, Jesus says, strive for his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. I usually learned this verse, seek first the kingdom. But I like this word strive. It's like, man, you're... you're you're longing for it. You're, you're reaching for it. You, you just want to see a glimpse of the kingdom of God. So you strive for it. It says don't chase after all the other stuff that everybody else is chasing after. And you turn on the TV and you, you watch like, I mean, 30 seconds, you're going to come across some kind of commercial or they've got ads in, in your apps on your phone unless you pay for the ad-free version. I don't, I, I just can't, I'm too, I'm, I'm too brethren to pay for the app. <laughs> I take the free version, I'll put up with the ads. But we are advertised to all the time, all the time. And so we understand what the world is chasing after. We see it all the time. And we're drawn into it all the time. And so I wonder, what does this teaching mean? What does all this mean in a culture and an economy that is driven by consumerism, driven to get the, the latest and the best and the biggest and have the most? Jesus is talking to a crowd of poor people. And he's telling them not to strive after this stuff the way everybody else is. I can't imagine what Jesus would say to us. Walking through, I mean, even if you don't feel wealthy, we are among the wealthiest people in the world, in history. And I wonder sometimes if we haven't turned greed into a value in our world. Of course, we don't call it greed, we often call it drive. They're driven. But what are they driven for? To accumulate? Our economy and our culture tend to value this kind of drive. We look at cost sheets and expenses and don't stop to consider maybe how we are being made slaves of an economy, of a pursuit of wealth, of stuff. And we don't stop to think about how we are creating slaves, how we are turning other human beings into slaves. And there's nothing wrong with hard work. It's a great quality to have, and we need more 
hard work, but what are we working for? Is it to accumulate, to acquire, to have more? Are we working hard for the kingdom? How do we deal with our own greed? One way that maybe we can start to deal with our own greed that is in each of our lives. Let's be honest. It, sometimes we want to say, man, that is a greedy person. Look at, how, look at how they go after all that wealth. Look at how they run that job. Man, if I had that much money, I would do this with it. And we secretly, you know, we get a little greedy. How do we deal with the greed in our own life? Maybe we start to hold our possessions with a loose grip. I discovered recently my own failure with holding things loosely. Throughout high school, I loved playing with Legos. Like little on up, I still was buying Legos. And those Legos accumulated in, in a couple of bins, and now Jameson and Garrett love playing with my Legos. But they don't always play with my Legos the right way. Sometimes they take heads off of one character and they put them on another character, and it's not supposed to be that way. And they don't follow all the directions the way that they're supposed to. I sometimes have a hard time just letting go. Saying, ah, man, that is, you are incredibly creative. That is, that is just great. Look at what, look at what you've imagined and, and built. I want to say, that, why do you have the, that head on that character? That is completely inaccurate. <laughs> Instead, if you look at verse 33, it says, sell your possessions and Give them to the alms. Oh, that's my last, that's my last name. That's, uh, some of you are catching up. No, that's not what it says. See, greed, example of greed. No, it says to give the money away. Give the money away. Give it away. That's so foreign from how we're used to thinking. And we often domesticate verses like these, and we, and we go, well, okay, the, the big moral teaching is Jesus is saying, you know, don't hold on to these possessions so tightly, uh, care for those around you, but we don't want to apply practically, literally what Jesus is saying there. But the early church seemed to take Jesus very literally when he said that you are supposed to care for one another with your possessions and your wealth. See, this is in Luke's gospel, but Luke's second book in Acts, chapter 2, verse 44 to 47, Luke writes this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple. They broke bread in the home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The church lived differently. 
They met together. They ate together. They shared each other's needs and burdens. Prayer concerns, but also their physical needs. They cared for one another. And look at what happened. The world looked in and saw these people caring for one another in radical ways. And they were drawn to it, wanting to know more about this Jesus who has come and changed everything for this group of people. They lived differently. Of course, a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 5, there's this story of Ananias and Sapphira who sell their property, give a portion to the church, but they lie about it. Maybe struggling, dealing with issues of greed again, and their greed is fatal. You know, living simply is something we often talk about in the Church of the Brethren in Anabaptist circles. It's something that's been a part of our DNA, our spiritual heritage, to live in opposition or protest to extravagant living. But sometimes we get a little pride going on with that too. Our spiritual ancestors lived on the margins and they put Acts chapter 2 and Luke chapter 12 into practice. And they cared for one another's burdens, cared for one another's needs. See, greed is about me and mine. But Jesus calls us to pursue the kingdom of God. And the good news is we don't do this alone because Jesus said, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We're part of a community of faith striving for the kingdom of God. We see a glimpse of this when we live together, when we care for one another's burdens. At big uh, land-grant universities, uh, Penn State, Ohio State, uh, I'll put them in that order this morning. Um, someone in first service said, you didn't mention Purdue. Uh, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't cover every land-grant university. But these big agricultural schools with, that practice different kinds of farming, and they, maybe they're trying out a new kind of seed, or they're trying out a new herbicide or pesticide or a new technique. They have demonstration plots, a, a field that they set aside and they try this new thing, and uh, they want to see how it does compared to other fields. They're called demonstration plots. At the height of Jim Crow South, there's a man named Clarence Jordan living down in Georgia. And he gathered this interracial group onto this place he called the Koinonia Farm. And they lived in radical hospitality and radical community with one another. And Jordan called this a demonstration plot for the kingdom. This is what the church is supposed to be, a demonstration plot for the kingdom, a little glimpse into what the kingdom of God 
might look like someday. It's just a small little glimpse for us to look in on. This is what we're supposed to be. Not driven by greed, not running after the stuff everyone else is running after, but instead seek first, strive for the kingdom of God, and God will take care of the rest. As we come and we have an opportunity to respond to that, confessing, looking at our own lives and realizing, you know what, there's a part of me that this greed is still taking hold. I hold on to possessions or this object or this schedule or these priorities too tightly. And I need to begin to let go. If you take out your black piece of paper that was in your bulletin, uh, if you still have that. Two questions that I'd like for you to respond to. If you raise your hand, if you didn't get one of those black strips of paper, we have some others here. Thank you so much, Brenda. Do we need more? We've got a couple more coming around. Two questions that I would like for you to think about. What object, drive, or possession has come to possess you? You realize that you feel like a, a servant and a slave to this thing, this schedule, this device. How can you, and the second question is this, how can you begin to hold that loosely and strive for the kingdom of God? How can you loosen your grip a little bit on those, those things? Not be so tight-fisted. you're writing down on that black paper, it's okay if we can't read it. No one's, this is between you and God. We don't pull them down and do handwriting samples and figure out who's confessing what. This morning as we respond to that, we're going to be singing a song called Surrender. And as we sing this song of, of handing over our lives, of of saying, Jesus, I want to pursue you first. I want to follow you above everything else. I'm laying down my life, my rights, my, my sin, my shame. We have an opportunity to respond. And so as we sing that song, I'll invite you to come up and uh, to put your confession in our cross up here. There's space on the back. It, it has been accumulated. Um, there's... A lot of stuff going on. Um, this is an opportunity for us to confess and to try and follow Jesus more faithfully in the way we live our lives. I'll invite the praise team to come up.